Well, good morning. I am, I'm Nate, for those of you who uh, don't know me. I'm excited this morning because I get to, I got to pick what I'm talking about this week. And so it's this fresh bread series and the encouragement has been to share on what has God been talking to you about recently. So it's not reaching back to something from the past that you haven't really uh, ever responded to or been obedient to, but it's of saying, what, what currently is God talking to you about? And so I'm excited about that. Um, having said that, I've placed tissues up here for myself. I appreciate that Scott said that uh, real strong manly men cry. I think that's what you said during the testimony time. Um, if I don't cry, it will be I mean, that's fine, but I'm expecting that there's going to be some ugly crying, which will involve deep breathing and stuff flying out of places. And so we'll see where we end up. But I am super excited this morning um, to be able to share with you um, some fresh bread of what God's been uh, talking to me about. And um, hopefully for you, as you, as you listen, uh, you will be able to sense God's invitation to you individually to participate in what God's doing in the world. So sometimes when we uh, enter church or another setting where we're listening to information, um, we listen with filters. And we listen through um, the filters of what we have said that we agree with, or we listen with filters of what we say we believe. And sometimes uh, what has brought us to those places have been wrong platforms. And so this morning, as we step into um, this conversation, we're not here as representatives of anything other than the family of God this morning. And, and I'm saying that for me as well. We're not here as Republicans. We're not here as Democrats. We're not here as socialists, libertarians, whatever you want to throw in there. We come together without labels, and we refuse the divisions that others say we should have. So, we are not here to represent other th anything other than being beloved children of God. And that makes us family. It makes us brothers and sisters. And so this morning, this is a family talk. And my desire is that you would hear it that way. So having said that, there's been a lot of temptation for me along the way to pen this talk with my own filters. And that I've been doing my best to address that and to submit those biases to the Spirit of God without sacrificing the fact that this is a struggle. And so as I've done that, my encouragement and my hope for you is that as the temptation for you to hear my talk through political filters or, or whatever, um, that you would submit that as well. 
and ask uh, the head of our household to be the voice that you hear and that you respond to. So here's my prayer for us. This is um, from John 17, and I kind of changed it for us. So would you pray with me? So Lord, as we step into this, uh, I pray for us this morning that we are those who have believed in Jesus through the message of others. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us one. Just as you and Jesus and the Spirit are one. May we also be in you so that the world might believe that you have sent us. You've given us the glory that you gave Jesus, that we might be one as you are one, that we might be brought to complete unity. And may the Lord do this. May the world know that you've sent us and that you have loved them even as you have loved us. Help us to agree with that and for it to penetrate. And Father, would you forgive us for our forgetfulness, for our apathy, for our division, and for our coziness. And would you help us to both receive your reckless love and also to allow it to flow through us and out to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name and in, in his authority. Amen. If you agree, say amen. All right, there's a sign of unity. <laughs> so, who knows what a meme is? Okay, good. <laughs> so a while ago I saw a meme and it captured my heart. It says this, when you have more than what you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Early adapters. That's great. <laughs> when you have more than what you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. So I read that, and it encapsulated one of the reasons that uh, the Shogren home became a foster home. We always felt like we had more love to give in our home. Due to emergency surgeries, miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies, we were no longer able to produce bio kids. So, after years of trying to heal, after years of knowing that we had an aching in our home, Tina and the, here we go. <laughs> Tina and the kids and I took the plunge and became a licensed foster home in 2016. We sensed God's invitation to open our home to children that needed care, and we specifically heard the words from God to be a safe harbor. Being a foster home has been our response to God's invitation to share a heart of hospitality, literally opening our home to strangers. Specifically, we do respite care and emergency placements. 
And like a safe harbor, the kids come in to, to port and to rest, and then they go out. And what it has meant for us is that since July 2016, we've had 11 different children, ranging from three weeks old to 15 years old, in our home. It has been the best thing we've ever done, and it has been the worst thing we have ever done. Tina always says that we must be gluttons for pain because our job as a foster home is literally to teach attachment. And you teach attachment through attaching. And then you send these precious little ones off, maybe to another placement or maybe to their birth family. Sometimes people say to us, how do you do this? I could never foster. I would get too attached. Here's a tip. Don't say that. Because what you're saying when you say that is that Tina and I must be devoid of emotion. That we must be robots or some type of monsters because a normal person would be too attached and it would be too hard for them to send them off. Don't say that. It's not helpful. Because believe me, it's quite the opposite for us. Attaching to the children is the actual goal of fostering. And it hurts so badly. But at the same time, we want to mirror God's love in this world. And showing hospitality to the vulnerable is building a longer table and not a higher fence. I used to be offended by a statement in the Bible. It says that Jesus came first to save the Jews and then the Gentiles. It was the Apostle Paul that said it. It's in Romans chapter one. It reads like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I think I stumbled over it because it always felt like I deserved the love of God. That kind of like God, God was benefiting from me being a part of the family. If we really break it down, it was pride, right? The idea that I wasn't in the first round of God's salvation plan for the world was appalling to me and kind of unsettling. I totally missed the fact that God was telling a love story through Israel and God's pursuit of Israel. And that through Israel, God would bring salvation to all. And that that included me. God was not building a higher fence in his love for Israel. God was building a longer table 
as that love extended out to non-Jewish people, Greeks, Gentiles, to me. You see, God is the best at hospitality, always making room in the family for one more. And just like God invited us to mirror this hospitality in our foster home, I believe this morning, God wants to invite you to mirror his hospitality. So later on in Romans chapter 11, and I mean, it's a fascinating text. If you read Romans 1 through whatever, it's exhausting. Like if you just read a chapter of Romans, there's so much in it. But in Romans 11, Paul uses a powerful word picture to describe this idea that Jesus came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And he describes an olive tree that has had a new branch grafted into it, meaning that we, who are not Jewish, have been included and have been grafted into an existing tree with an extensively deep root system. That Christianity stands on the shoulders of the roots of Judaism. And then Paul says this, let that fact produce in you humility. Don't be arrogant. And I felt like that was (laughs) written exclusively to me. Paul says, let this produce humility in you that you have been grafted in, that you have been included. And then the invitation to mirror God's heart of hospitality towards others isn't a command. It's an overflow. It's out of the overflow of knowing that I have been included, that I would desire to want to include others. This revelation of ultimate hospitality was so powerful to me that I actually have a tattoo of it. It starts there and works its way around. And it's, it's an olive tree with a branch grafted in, and then that branch is wrapped in an ace bandage. And it represents the amazing, generous, inclusive love of God that doesn't build taller fences, but instead builds longer tables. And God invites us to join in. As the psalmist said, God sets the lonely in families. God's the best host. Always making room for more and is always desired to have a people that will share a heart of hospitality. According to Kent Dobson, he's a Hebrew scholar, was actually a pastor at Mars Hill. He said in the ancient world, hospitality was a high moral ideal. All nomads or semi-nomadic people needed hospitality from time to time. Welcoming a foreigner or a stranger into your own tent 
ensured the same treatment when the tables were turned. Expectations developed in the ancient world that hosts would provide food and shelter and protection for the foreigner. This has been called the desert law, and it predates the Ten Commandments. The Bible repeatedly challenges all people to treat the stranger and the vulnerable members of society with care and respect. In Leviticus, it says, the foreigner or stranger residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And I just love that text because it's challenging of how to move forward and anchoring it in what had been done for them. Remember, remember who you were. Remember that you were foreigners in Egypt. So this brings me to the question, who then are the vulnerable members of our society? Who are the strangers? How should they be treated? And we could fill a board if we wanted to, but my heart recently has been drawn to refugees and to children that are separated from their families. I was so, I was so angry when the statement was made about the children who are separated at the border that they will be placed with foster care or whatever. These are those who have left their homes and those without homes. Did you know that last year, 96,874 refugees entered the U.S. And about 5% of those refugees, over 5,000, settled in Michigan. Refugees from Syria and Iraq, they make up 59% of Michigan's refugee population. What might it look like for us to practice hospitality towards refugees in Michigan? Do you know how to say hello in Arabic? Anybody? Raise your hand. All right, say it together. On three, one, two, three. Ah, assalamu alaikum. What about what about this one? Can you play it? Marhaban. Who knows that one? Play it again. Marhaban. Can we try and say that together? Play it again. Marhaban. Marhaban. There's a little bit of back of the throat in there. Marhaban. Marhaban. It's saying, saying welcome. It's saying hello. A very simple 
simple way to show hospitality, perhaps something that we could all do. These refugees are vulnerable and they're God's beloved children. And the parents who make these decisions are making the decision with the same information that Joseph and Mary made to keep their child safe. Did you know that at any given time there are between 13,000 and 14,000 children in foster care just in Michigan? 13,000 to 14,000. Mayor, which focuses on older children in Michigan, because they're the hardest to place. After you get out of that cute stage and you get into that awkward stage and the stage that you could be a physical threat, people shy away. So there's a website called mayor.org. It's in your bulletin. And these kids tell their stories because they're trying to bolster awareness for them. But right now, so this statistic came with Child Safe. Right now, today, Mayor has 348 kids with no identified adoptive families. 212 of them are older than 13. So today, there's 212 children that are over 13, meaning that they age out of the system at 18. They're vulnerable. And they're looking for homes. And they're God's beloved children. So it can be hard to hear these facts and not be tempted to despair. Or not be tempted to give in to guilt or to be mad at me because I'm talking about this, or to shut down and say, this isn't for me, or to feel chastised. I recognize that. But today, I wanted to speak a joyous invitation, a joyous invitation. God's been speaking to me about inviting all of us to turn the dial just one degree on hospitality. Just one degree on hospitality towards the vulnerable. And God's also been showing me that we have a lot of amazing opportunities and that they're right around us. And that God has made promises that connect to this invitation. Who remembers if-then statements? If-then, all of the engineers in the room should be raising their hands. <laughs> if-then statements are conditional statements. If this is true, then this is true. Or if this is not true, then this is not true. Or interesting when we see if-then statements in Scripture. God's been sharing this promise with me to encourage me in the midst of all of those facts, <laughs> all those facts, all those news stories, everyone's version of those news stories, 
all the fights that happened underneath people representing their versions of those news stories, right? And in all of that, God's been speaking to me what I think is a massive if-then statement. So this is Isaiah 58. It says this, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is a huge if-then statement with a massive city-changing promise attached to it. So our if, we became a foster home to share God's heart and to do away with the yoke of oppression and spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry to satisfy the needs of the oppressed. God's then statement to us you will be like a well-watered garden. God's promise is true. When our small group showed up, when our small group showed up, after receiving six-week-old twins, and they covered our kitchen with wipes and diapers and formula. We felt like a well-watered garden. When Dave and Amanda Kane pick up our teenage foster son and take him to sporting events, because they're a sports family 
and he's a sports kid, we feel like a well-watered garden. When Ben and Hannah Hoskins take turns driving our foster son to school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings so that I can take my bio son to school three days a week, we feel like a well-watered garden. When we know that there's a community that's lifting our arms and shouldering the burden with us, we feel like a well-watered garden. When people actively listen to the struggles and the pain that is in our life that we have willingly taken on, we feel like a well-watered garden. When we put out prayer requests through texts in times that we're struggling and we wish that we had never done this, and we immediately get back detailed prayers that we can read of words that we could not muster. We feel like a well-watered garden. And when we feel like a well-watered garden, then the results are exponential. Because suddenly, we have the energy and the vision to be repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. And there's wind in the sails. And so church, I say, well done. Well done. Because it's not just us. The Knacks, the Elands, we've got Singles, Megan O'Neill, Andrew. There's so many in this community that care for foster children and that they cannot do it without you caring for them and sharing the burden. You can't rebuild broken walls or restore the streets by yourself. And you can't do it overnight. I also want to affirm that we have grandparents that are raising grandkids. We have grandparents that are raising great-grandkids. We have, we, there, I didn't name you. If I didn't talk about your thing, it's not because I don't love you. My brain's fried right now. I'm like, how do I wrap this up? So... Don't take it personal. I affirm you, well done. James 1.27 says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Being polluted by the world is saying, this isn't my problem, this is somebody else's. Because that's what the world says. 3% of evangelicals foster children. 2% of non-evangelicals foster children, so I guess we got them by 1%. The cynic in me says, so does 97% think this is optional to follow Jesus? There's opportunity. There's beautiful opportunity. So let me be clear, I am not asking everybody to become a foster home, right? I'm not. If, ever, if everyone in here became a foster home, I would lose the people who would bring <laughs> diapers and wipes to help support us, right? Because you would need them for yourself. So that's not what I'm saying. 
Although I think child, Eric at ChildSafe would love to sign all of you up today to do that, I'm actually asking you this. Inquire of God. Ask God, what is it for you to practice hospitality? What is it for you to turn the dial one degree on your heart being aligned with God's in practicing hospitality? Obviously, I've shared what this has looked like for us, but it may look very different for you, and that's okay. But how can you share God's heart for the lonely, for the vulnerable, and I would challenge for the refugee? There's tons of ways for us to live this out. I'm gonna throw a couple at you. So, Later in June, a group of us are gonna go down to uh, Freedom House Detroit, and we'll put it on Facebook and announce, and um, Freedom House Detroit is a safe house for refugees. And what they've asked us to do is to come down and to make their gardens look nice, and to put together picnic tables that they have that nobody's put together. If you can learn to say hello, uh, by the time you get down there, that might be helpful as well. But I think that this will be a fun opportunity for us to step in. So pray about that. Is the Lord inviting you to, to go with us to Freedom House? Or maybe there's something else that God is wanting to do. This fall, Sharon Buttry will be leading an ESL Bible study in Hamtramck, and it's with Bangladeshi refugees. And they learn English through reading the Bible. And Sharon would love for you to participate, to be praying for her, to be praying for that. So think about that. CDC has mentoring programs for youth. Allison's always putting that in front of us. These are kids who are looking for adults to make investment in their life. Consider being a safe family with Bethany. So this is beautiful. Bethany uh, Christian Services is in the lobby today. But they started a program that's called Safe Families, and their goal is to intercept children before they enter the foster care system. So the goal is to provide services to support the child and to support the family before the child is taken away. They would love for you to ask them questions about that in the lobby today. Elans are a part of that, and they'd love to tell you about it. Raise your hand, if you would, Elans. They would love to talk to you about it. Consider being a foster home like us. Consider offering respite care. Consider signing up to be an alternative caregiver. That's a fancy name for saying babysitter. But you have to be licensed. And so that limits who I can call to come and watch the kids. Consider that today. Child Safe is in the lobby. They're an organization that Tina and I work with, and Eric is here, and he's ready and anxious to give out information. So take some time after the service and stop by those tables. I felt this uh, in my heart. So to our over 50 family, our family here that's over 50, 
I'd like to specifically challenge you to consider fostering older children between the ages of 14 and 18. And here's the reason why. Sometimes that age gap is actually really helpful. If you visit the Mare website, mare.org, these are kids who are literally staying in group homes and residential facilities because there's not a home for them. And group, group home and residential facility, just to be clear, is a distancing language because we don't use the word orphanage anymore. These are 14 to 18 year olds who know the number of days that they have before they age out of a system that has been trying to advocate for them. So for our over 50s, I encourage you to visit the site. Anyone else can visit it too. There's other resources that have been put in your bolts and, and there's, there's tons of them out there. As we've gone through, um, hearing, hearing from God has been like fresh water for us. And so we heard um, be a safe harbor. And then we went a number of years under that word. And then we hit a spot where it was like, we don't feel like uh, this is a sustaining or an enduring word from God. And so... I wanted to share with you the word that we're functioning under right now. Because it's very, it's very costly to do this. It will cost you time that you would have had only with your bio kids if you have bio kids. It, it costs me multiple days a week that I would have driven Rome to school that I'm not driving Rome to school. Like there's very real costs. And it, it's not without pain because you learn their stories. And it's like with every child that comes to our house, it feels like we're getting back onto Anvil. And say, okay, Lord, reshape me. Hammer it out. But we believe that in doing so, we are casting a very different vision for the future for our children. And so when the Lord has been giving us a word, it's been a family word, it's been a covenantal word. And right now our family is in an extremely difficult season as we approach as we approach what will probably be, be the hardest transition that we've had. Rather than having a short-term placement, we've had a placement for 10 months. And we have had him since he was three weeks old. And this word that God has given us 
is that we can do this, but not without pain. That we can do this, but not without pain. And I say this to you all as you reflect on this talk. We can do this, but not without pain. It is a promise. It's a promise from the heart of God that God will sustain us, but that it will be costly. And that that costliness is something that church tradition calls entering into the sufferings of Christ. The pain is entering into the sufferings of Christ, taking on the heart of the one who humbled himself to become obedient even unto death and made a sacrifice of his life in order to be a blessing to the whole world. What would be better? The one who set another place for us at the table. The one who built a longer table rather than building a higher fence. This is the invitation this morning. This is the reckless love of God. It is costly, it is sacrificial, and it is an absolute blessing to the world. Would you pray with me? Thank you for showing us your heart this morning. And so now we sit with it. We sit with it and immediately, immediately the enemy wants to come and steal that seed away. Immediately. And so, Father, I ask for mercy. I ask that you would remind us even in the next minute what you're saying. We ask for your kingdom to come. And we trust you for the transformation and for the outcome. So